Living for the world's approval can leave us parched and thirsting for more. But when we live for God's approval, we find an unquenchable joy that overflows to the world around us. Join Dr. Andy Brown as he gives us seven truths about living with God's approval. This is Hearing is Believing. Each one of us here this morning, all of us, we each have a job to do. All of us have a task set before us, and it's an unfinished task. Listen to this, in service of the world, in honor of Christ, for the glory of God. In service to the world, in honor of Christ, to the glory of God. So our unfinished task, or this duty that's put before us today and its life is to live in the world and to remind others that even though we're in the world, we're not of the world. And so we get this opportunity to serve the world, and we do so best when we are being unapologetically ourselves. And when we are unapologetically ourselves, we remind others of Jesus. God has called us to serve the world. God has called us to serve the world. Now, think through all of those levels with me for just a moment. We, ser- we are to serve the world for Jesus. That's our task. We're to serve the world for Jesus. So, the challenge that we face is in that first word, we. Of course, we are composed of a group of eyes, and those eyes make a we. And how often the eyes forget that they're part of a larger group. It's us. It's not just I or it's we, so it's us. We aren't the end to ourselves. Instead, we're serving something greater than ourselves. And then we come to that second word, serve. We serve, and serve sets the focus of, of, uh, of the we. We live for others. Who are the others that we serve? Well, the next word is world. We serve the world for Jesus, the world. So the world refers to the others around us who are still of the world. Those around us are those, as the Bible refers to them, darkness dwellers who are blind, who are in bondage, who need to see, who need to be set free. Remember this, the world are those for whom Christ died, but it's also those who crucified Jesus. But the next phrase is where the real challenge lies. We are to serve the world for Jesus. Jesus is the one whom we've never seen, but one who we have faith in and believe. And we face a real temptation. It's a real danger, a danger of living for what we can see, not for what we will see. Last week, I introduced to you my love for Lord of the Rings. This week, I'm going to Narnia. You're going to think, my goodness, who is this guy? But anyway, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, we're introduced to a certain character. Maybe you know him. His name is Mr. Beaver. Who, When we first meet Mr. Beaver, he had never seen Aslan, the king. But he hopes in all the promises that Aslan is going to bring. Who is Aslan? asked Susan. Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Why, don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. 
but not often here, you understand. Never in my time or my father's time, but the word has reached us that he has come back. He is in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen, all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. So here we are, we're sort of like Mr. Beaver. We live with this expectation of joy, and that expectation of joy is what fills the world with hope. We serve the world for Jesus to remind a world that has been stuck in a winter that spring is coming. And so today, if you have your Bible, I invite you to join me in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians today, and we're going to break into chapter 2 this morning. And what I want to talk to you about in this message today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is uh, our living purpose in the world. It's our living purpose in the world. And it's important for us as we think about this task that's before us and this job that God has called us to do, it's important for us to keep the proper perspective. Listen, we live always for God, unto God, and as belonging to God. We live always for God, unto God, as those who belong to God. In other words, you and I, we serve the world as those who are approved of God. You ever considered that? If you're serving the world for Jesus, then God approves of you. God approves of your service. Better we should say that you serve the world because of God's approval for you. This not only gives us hope, but this gives the world longing for approval hope. And that's what we do for the world. We fill the world that's longing for hope, this expectation of true joy, of true hope. So let's read the Bible together, beginning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll read the first seven verses, and then I'll pray and ask God's help for this moment. Let's pray. Let's uh, read the Bible. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring forth from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man but to please God who test our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Would you pray with me this morning? Help us, Lord, in this moment to faithfully proclaim your message. Help us to learn it, to grow from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do this morning is I want to hone your attention on the words of verse 4. Verse 4, and Paul has come to the Thessalonians with affliction. But that's not all that he's come to the Thessalonians with. He came bringing an expectation with him. And the expectation that he came, which was the, uh, the fuel for his ministry, was the expectation of eternal joy. And so instead of living in the bondage of seeking the world's approval, Paul lives in confidence that he is approved of God. 
and he has nothing to be ashamed of, even if living with God's approval means affliction, means imprisonment, and will eventually mean death for Paul. But that's not all that it will mean, is it? Nero, listen, Nero may have taken the head of Paul, but King Jesus is going to put the head of Paul back on. So it's not just this expectation of of living with God's approval of this infliction, imprisonment, and death, but there's also this expectation that Paul carried with him even to the grave, and that expectation is resurrection. So what I want to do today is I want to give you seven truths from these seven verses about living with God's approval. Seven truths from these seven verses about living with God's approval. Number one, a life with God's approval never falls short. A life with God's approval never falls short. So think about what we had in chapter one. Chapter one was this assuring chapter. It's a sharing chapter. He then moves forward to remind the Thessalonians in chapter 2 of all the success that he had with them. And let me just say this, everyone who serves Jesus desires to be effective in their service for King Jesus. No one is going to volunteer for a ministry that they think is going nowhere. No one is going to join a church, for example, that they think that the church is going nowhere. No preacher wants to preach to a congregation who thinks that the congregation is going nowhere. Further, no congregation wants a preacher who's going nowhere. Everyone, and that's a good desire, everyone who serves Jesus desires to be effective in that service. He told another church in another place, I don't run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. In other words, Paul says, I'm not just here wasting my time speaking to hear my own voice. I believe every church who has their heart set on its proper desires should desire the same. We should all desire to belong to something grand, and that grand is the gospel, an effective ministry. And all through, Paul's, all through Paul's service, every time he was in a church and out of a church, he faced these opponents that always followed him. And that's, by the way, always going to happen with anyone who's desiring to make a difference for Jesus. There's always going to be these naysayers that are going to come. But Paul faced these opponents who sought to discredit his life and ministry. And just consider what we know surrounding the events of his time in uh, Thessalonica. Acts 17 tells us that persecution broke out. And as persecution broke out, Paul had to run. He had to flee prematurely. The ministry that Paul wanted to have in Thessalonica didn't last as long as he hoped. And perhaps the opponents, they tried to take advantage of this. They tried to say, well, here you are. He ran away. Paul, he didn't have any effect. He's a failure. And so what does Paul do? He takes up his pen, and he writes a letter to the church assuring them that his time there was not wasted amongst them. Look at the way he opens chapter 2. He opens chapter 2 is directed to silence those adversaries. Look at what he says. You yourselves know, brethren, you know, he calls them to account, that our coming to you wasn't in vain. We came to you, and you know, regardless of what everyone on the outside says, you know that it wasn't in vain. Changed lives, listen to this, changed lives are evidence of an effective ministry. Changed lives are an effective, 
or, an, or a uh, marker or evidence of a successful ministry. I remember when I was ordained at First Baptist Atlanta, I remember Dr. Stanley looking at me and him saying, Andrew, when you leave a church, you leave a church better than you found it. And don't worry about leaving when it's time for you to leave. God will let you know when to leave. But when you leave, you leave letting evidence be surrounding you that says, Andrew was here. Andy was here. What's he doing there? He's letting me know that my whole intention and purpose is to live a life of great effect, is to live a life for King Jesus, and changed lives are evidence of a successful ministry. Just consider what we know about the church in Thessalonica so far. Go back to chapter 1. The power of God was put on display in their lives. They had a faith that worked. They had a faith that labored in love, and they had a faith in a soon-coming Jesus. And the faith that they had was known throughout all the region. They turned from idols in verse 10, it says, or verse 9, it says, to serve the living and true God. And in verse 10, they were delivered or are being delivered from the wrath to come. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the gospel took root in that church. It sounds like the gospel took root in that place. And let me just take an opportunity to reiterate what I reiterated, what I iterated earlier. We're highlighting service in January. So far, we've asked for children's workers. I am so glad that in one church service in an appeal back in the 1980s, a woman by the name of Miss Donna Whitehead answered that call and took care of me as a baby in the nursery. I'm so glad in the 90s when Miss Karen, my kindergarten teacher, she came to the church who had a kindergarten at that time, and they hired her. She came and was responsible for helping lead me to Jesus Christ. We're also asking in the, in the month of January for, for uh, technology volunteers. Did you know, did you know, by the way, that the person who puts the battery in this pack is responsible for taking the message of the gospel all over the world? There's no such thing as insignificant service. There's no such thing as someone uh, just wasting their time because we're all desiring great effect. Remember this, there is great joy from coming from, from serving Jesus. And my prayer for you, if you've been here for some time seating on, sitting on the pew and have never served, then you will break the mold, shake off the dust, and volunteer in some place. Because there is so much joy that you're missing, a joy that comes from serving Jesus. And let me say this to those of you who are serving right now, who may be a little discouraged, maybe COVID has got you down. Maybe you're looking around and you're saying, golly, I've been doing this for year after year after year. Let me just say, look around and remember this. Remember how God works. God often works in ways that we least expect. It's often slower than we expect but it's often greater than we could ever imagine. And it's never in vain. What does God say in another place? In Isaiah, he says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing that I sent it. Believer, this morning, listen, 
If you are serving God with a whole heart, with His approval, then you can't fail. If you're serving God with a whole heart, then you cannot fail. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you won't face discouragement. That doesn't mean that you won't face disappointments. It doesn't mean that you won't grow weary in doing good, but here's what it means. It means that if you are serving Jesus faithfully, you will never fall short, no matter what. You see, a life with God's approval, number two, stabilizes adversity, stabilizes adversity. Paul's resume in service for Jesus, if we were to read it in the book of 2 Corinthians, you'd see that his resume in service for Jesus is filled with many tolls and dangers and snares. But we also see this, God has faithfully brought him safe all the way through it. If we go back to Acts chapter 16, for example, and he mentions this in verse 2, how he had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi. If we go back to Acts chapter 16 and read a little bit about Philippi, we see that Paul was beat with rods by an angry mob, and then he was thrown into prison. Way to go, Paul. What a life of effective ministry for Jesus. Boy, when you come to town, everybody loves you. They beat you and throw you in prison. But I love what else happens in Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Friends, only a life with God's approval can sing songs when you're in prison. A life with God's approval stabilizes adversity, anchoring your soul to the immovable rock of salvation. But notice, God has stabilized His soul, but God has not only stabilized His soul, but has also kept Him bold in His gospel witness. And that's the third point for you this morning. Number three, a life with God's approval uh, emboldens our gospel witness. And there's a story from church history by a man by the name of Ignatius of Antioch. Let me tell you a little bit about Ignatius of Antioch, and as we're going to spend our time together, you're going to learn that I'm a historical theologian in training still, and I love historical theology, but Ignatius of Antioch, he was captured, and he was sent to Rome to be martyred. And there were certain members of the church who uh, developed this plan, we're going to bust Ignatius out. He's on this cart. He's being escorted from town to town with, by Roman guard. We're going to go. We're going to find Ignatius, and we're going to break him out. But as Ignatius was facing martyrdom, he wrote these words. Listen to what he said. It is better for me to die in Christ than to be king over the ends of the earth. I seek him who died for our sake. I desire him who rose for us. And then listen to this next phrase, birth pains are upon me, suffer me, my brethren, hinder me not from living, do not wish me to die, suffer me to receive pure light, when I shall have arrived there, I shall become a human being, suffer me to follow the example of the passion of my God. And did you catch that? 
If we're not, and maybe you think that maybe you miswrote that. No. Hinder me not from living, he says. Even as he's facing martyrdom. He says, hinder me not from living. You see, a life approved by God can weather any storm. And the reason that we can weather any storm is because the worst thing that could ever happen to us has already happened to us in Christ. Christ has bore the wrath of God for us who believe. And that's the worst thing that can ever happen to anyone. Not that they die, but that they die and face the wrath of God. And that wrath of God is for eternity. So the worst thing that has already that could ever happen to us has already happened to us in Christ. Christ bore the wrath of God for us who believe. But the, op- the other end of that is true too. The best thing that can happen to us will happen to us. God will receive us unto Himself. And what did He say in John 14? That where I am, there you're going to be too. This is the gospel, and it's our gospel. Look at this shift. I want to point this out, this shift in uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. Notice this. He says this is the gospel of God. But look at this in chapter 1 and verse 5. What's he say? It's not the gospel. It's our gospel. So he shifts in the beginning from our gospel to the gospel. Listen, the gospel is our gospel. And when you take hold of the gospel and it becomes your gospel, then it emboldens your witness for Jesus. And I remember when that happened for me. I was in college at Kennesaw State University. I had just left Tripp McConnell. It used to be college. Now it's a university at the Georgia Baptist School. And I'd, I'd left there. I had Bible for lunch, Bible for, bre- Bible for breakfast, Bible for lunch, and Bible for supper. Yes, it is supper, by the way, not dinner. Anyway, we had it for supper. And by the time I got to the secular university, by the time that I was uh, in the Baptist university, I was tired of the Bible. But then I got to the secular university, and it went from being the gospel to being my gospel. And when it goes from being the gospel to your gospel, then you'll become bold. Number four, a life with God's approval stands apart from others. Look at verse 3. Paul makes clear what doesn't motivate him. I'm not motivated by error, he says, not impurity, not deception. And all three of those points set Christian proclamation apart from any other message in the world. Our message is not from error, and that's important for us to declare boldly in our age. Our message is not with error. Our message is not just a good story for us. Our message is the true story of the whole world. It's not with error. It's not with impurity. Christian proclamation, if it's true Christian proclamation, if it's true Christian service in honor of the King, then it doesn't spring from impure motives. And there's a big historical reference that's behind this, I believe, because many of the cults in Paul's day involved religious prostitution. And so you had these teachers that would come into town, and their motives, to say it mildly, their motives could be characterized as immoral or impure. God help us when the world looks inside the church 
and sees impurity. God help us when the world looks at the pulpit and sees impurity. And if the world sees impurity, listen, then they won't see Jesus. And if the world doesn't see Jesus in the church, then the question is, what good is the church? This is why Jesus says to several of the churches in Revelation, I have removed your lampstand. I have taken that light that you were called to represent, and I have taken it away. Not with error, not with impurity. And then look at this last one, not with deception. Now, that word deception there is a fisherman's term. Do we have any fishermen in the house today? All right, good. Two of you, fantastic. Look, guys, y'all gotta, we're going to have to communicate. All right, listen, raise your hand, say amen, move this way a little. It's all right, it's all right. Not with impurity, not with error, not with deception. That deception is a fisherman's term. In other words, let me say it this way. We're not trying to lure anyone into anything. Or maybe say it a different way, and all this is in the Greek. We're not trying to get someone to take our message, hook, line, and sinker. Some of you say, you know, I really struggle with evangelism, and I probably know the reason that you think that you struggle with evangelism. You think that you struggle with evangelism because you say, I'm just, I, I just can't sell it. You don't have to sell it. All you have to do is tell somebody about the change that Jesus has wrought in your life. That's it. It's not, I'm not trying to deceive anyone. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's not my job to convince you of anything. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't, I don't labor in making it as clear as I can. That doesn't mean that I'm not as prepared as I can be. No, no. All of those things matter, but at the end of the day, God is the one who converts, not me. I can't convince you into heaven or out of heaven. Only the power of God can do that. And so I'm not trying to get anyone to take the message hook, line, and sinker. The gospel, see, it doesn't need my, whatever gloss I can paint on it. It doesn't need, it can stand alone. It stands alone. And then we stand apart when we stand with that message. We stand apart from the world when we stand with that message. God's message sets us apart because a life with God's approval, number five, stands with God. Notice the thrust of verses 4 and 5. Read those in your head. Paul, we should say God, has appointed Paul as a gospel minister. Paul, we'd say to the church in Corinthians in his second letter, he is an ambassador as if God were making his appeal through him. So what does that mean? It means that Paul must live up to his calling. He must live with God's approval always before him. He lives in God's approval, and he seeks to live a life approved of God. Both of those things are true. He, seeks to he is in God's approval, and he seeks to live out who he is. There's no reason for Paul to be someone that he's not. Who is he? He's who Christ has made him to be. And so he's living out that calling. But look at this phrase here. This phrase here in verse, in verse, uh, in verse five, that who, God who tests our hearts. Do you see this? Now I don't know about you, but when I think about God testing my heart, that sends my knees knocking a little bit. 
That's a challenging phrase, but it's also a phrase with an assurance. He would say, God, in the end of verse 5, he would say, God is witness. No matter what the opponents say, Paul has the confidence that comes from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my faults, and see if there be any way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And if you can come before God and you can say, search my heart and try me, and see if there be any way that doesn't bring you glory and get it out of me, only a heart that hopes in God would say such a prayer. Because you know what that prayer says? That prayer says, God, I trust you. That prayer says, God, I want to please you. But you know what else that prayer does? That prayer focuses all of your hope in saying, I don't have a hope in the world except you, Jesus. You see, a life with God's approval, number six, doesn't need approval from others. It doesn't need approval from others. And this is a challenging point as we think about it in our day and age. All of us are concerned with the opinions of others. All of us are concerned with what other people think about us. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? Praise God, I did comb my hair this morning. I did put on deodorant this morning. I was thinking a little bit about you when I did those things. I brushed my teeth. So that's not necessarily a bad thing that we're concerned with what others think. But if we don't believe that we seek the approval of others, then just ask this question, why on earth do we take selfies? Some of you say, I've never taken a selfie. We'll thank the Lord for you. But anyway, some of you, why do we take selfies? Why do we post things on social media? Because all of us have this desire for others to like us, to love us. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But like any desire, that can be twisted. You see, the issue that Paul's facing is these false teachers. These false teachers who are, uh, who are only an end to themselves. They've got their little cohort of people that they run with. And they go and they come to a place and disrupt a place and, and they get all excited. They're an end to themselves. They're not approved of God. And therefore, they didn't set their hope beyond the opinions of others. And Paul, what's he say here? He said that he didn't seek to please man. He said that he didn't seek glory from people. You know what the problem with glory from people is? It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But the hope of God's approval, listen, God's approval lasts forever. Now there again, don't get things confused. Just because we are not seeking approval from others don't mean that we don't care about others. It's not as if we can adopt this attitude, well, it's just me and Jesus, bless the Lord. No, 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 that's not it. That's an imbalance too. A life with God's approval might stand alone, but number seven, a life approved of God is going to care for others. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you. And look at the care that Paul has here. Like a nursing mother 
taking care of her own children. One of the sweetest things that I've ever experienced in my life is seeing my children born. One of the sweetest things that I've ever experienced in my life is to see the way that all of my children desire their mother. You see, a life that's approved by God will care for others. Even if you stand alone, you still stand alone for others. And then look at verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but ourselves. Because you became very dear to us. A life with God's approval is willing to do whatever it takes so that others might know Jesus. Even if that means whatever it takes is not for your good, but it's for their good and God's glory. Even if service to them means challenges, afflictions, persecutions, and even death. There was a sign at mom and dad's church when dad first became a Christian, that's a great story that I look forward to hearing, that I, you look forward to hearing from me one day, hopefully. But when they first became, when dad first became a Christian, they accepted, they attended a church, and there's a quote that used to hang in the choir loft, others, Lord, others, let this my motto be, let me live for others so that I might live like thee. You see, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Yes, a life with God's approval will care for others because God, listen, infinitely cares for you. So how do you live a life with God's approval? The only way to live this life listen, is to receive this life. The only way to live this life is to receive this life. We live in God's approval only by grace through faith. And Jesus offers us a life approved of God freely and without cost. So for all who are thirsty for approval, for all who are weary of searching for satisfaction in waterless places, God is calling us today to come to the living waters of God's satisfaction. Come to Jesus and live a life with God's approval. Father in heaven, we love you. And thank you that because of what we saw in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, you love us. You chose us. We are approved of God 
because of your approval of us. Father, you know a weary heart this morning. They're searching for satisfaction. They've got themselves tangled. This is their moment to come to Jesus, to bring their brokenness, to come weary, to lay it all at you, to find satisfaction for their souls. And it's my prayer that you give them the confidence, Lord, to do that. For those here who already believe in you, but don't, the gospel is not yet theirs. May this morning be a stake in the ground moment where they say, yes, I believe the gospel. But now, praise God, this gospel is my gospel. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Dr. Andy Brown, Senior Pastor of First Baptist Startville in Startville, Mississippi. If you would like to learn more about how we're taking the gospel from Startville to the ends of the earth, visit www.fbcstartville.com.